The Pacers are 2-0. They win in Cleveland over the shorthanded Cavaliers. Here's how they got it done, why it's more important than some of their wins last year, what can be taken from it, and more on today's Locked On Pacers podcast. You are Locked On Pacers, your daily Indiana Pacers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Happy Sunday, everybody, and welcome into another edition of the Locked On Pacers podcast, where we, of course, talk about the Indiana Pacers, as always. My name's Tony East. I cover the team for Forbes and SI, and today you're getting bonus content because I'm by myself in Cleveland, Ohio, and I thought, why not do a podcast? You can't see out the window right behind me, but Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse is right there. Pacers, a couple hours ago, just beat the Cavs in that building. To move to 2-0 on the season. An impressive win for the Pacers. And I will cut off everybody who says, but they were without their three All-Stars. They were. And I agree that takes away quite a bit from the game. Right? I'm not going to say that the Pacers should have been favorites, right? Given the quality of opponent. And uh, that, is, of course, matters a great deal in the results of this game. I also was at a game last year where the Pacers played the Nets at home, and the Nets arrested all of their top eight-ish guys. I can't even remember how many of them were out for the Nets, and the Nets won without Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving and a bunch of other guys. I also recall the Pacers playing against the Nuggets when Nikola Jokic was suspended and Jamal Murray was out, and they lost. And you can go on and on down the line of the Pacers playing inferior opponents last year and still losing. And so it is not a foregone conclusion for this young team in the past that they would win these games, and the Pacers did win this time. And they got it done in a similar game plot to their opening night win, but a different everything in between with the little minutia. In terms of just general game plot, it started off exactly the same as Pacers-Wizards on Wednesday with the Cavs just dominating right away. Karis LeVert was un- Karis LeVert was the best player in the NBA for the first six minutes of this game. Karis LeVert had almost 20 points. He had 19. He was at the foul line. A chance to get to 20. Six minutes into the game, he finished with 31. So the Pacers obviously tightened up on him. In fact, him starting hot could have been a blessing in disguise because he went 12 for 28. He kept chucking. But he was so hot early. The Pacers could not stop him. They had to make earlier subs than normal. They had to make adjustments with their second unit to slow him down. And the Pacers were down 15 early in this game. It was 27 to 12 at one point in the first quarter. And I thought, man, I've seen this team do this too many times where they just get so lazy, right? Donovan Mitchell got announced as out 30 minutes before the game. They get lazy and they can't do well. Five minutes to go in the first quarter, they're down 15. Similar to the Wizards where they were down big early and then they had a huge surge, got it closer to the quarter and then dominated well. To end this quarter, the Pacers were down six after the first quarter. They did very well for the remaining five minutes of the quarter, and it was all because of their bench, similar to what happened against Washington. Aaron Neesmith and Andrew Nemhard came in. They were tasked with guarding Karis LeVert because he was playing so well, and they did a wonderful job. And the additional part this time, similar to how Nemhard was the good offensive spark plug against the Wizards, was Neesmith was fantastic on offense. Career high for Aaron Neesmith in this game, 26 Points. He was awesome. He was handling the ball and attacking, which was his big improvement in preseason. He was making his threes, five for nine, and he had another dunk from the baseline. Like he's doing, this was the kind of games that Aaron Neesmith had last year when he had his big scoring nights. It's because he hit a lot of threes. He hit five in this one, but he had a variety of shots in this game, which is more than he could say last year. And 
He had a crucial offensive rebounds, four of them, for nine total, which was the second most on the Pacers. I'm getting ahead of myself reviewing his whole game. But that group came in, that second unit, cut down the lead. The Pacers get it back in the second quarter. They're ahead. And they didn't give the lead away. Now, the difference from this game and their opening night game was that Washington, they just blew out, right? Once they got their offense rolling, they got ahead by so much that it was laughable. And then the reserves came in with almost half the fourth quarter to go. This time, they had to earn it. They kind of got a lead. I think they got to 12 was their biggest lead. I'll double check while I'm talking. Um, the Pacers' biggest lead, oh, it was Pacers' biggest lead was 15 right at the end. Pacers' biggest lead, the competitive portion of the game was 12 right before halftime. Um, and they kept it about between like 10 and 4, so like a two or three possession difference for basically the entire second half. But they never gave it fully away, which was really impressive to me. They led from the time they took the lead for the second time in the middle of the second quarter to the end of the game. They led the whole time, despite the game being really close. So the Pacers ended up reclaiming the lead um, to find the exact timing. And I want to say like 46 to 40 uh, or so, or whatever, they crossed them at, at the 40-point mark. And they never gave it back. And that was, yes, that is the correct time. That was with... Uh, 9.13 to go in the second quarter. So the Pacers led this game for the final 33 minutes, and yet it was close the whole time. But they made timely shot after timely shot after timely shot. It was fascinating to see them do this. Sometimes it was Buddy Heald on a wing three. Oftentimes it was Aaron Neesmith who had a big scoring night. Miles Turner had some big shots. Miles Turner, really good game. Um, And then we'll get to the clutch heroics later from Halliburton, but they just kept having an answer. The building being in there was really fascinating. Like, this had to be a very frustrating fan game experience, right? The Cavs shot poorly from the foul line, 15 for 24. Levert himself going 3 for 9, brutal, uh, at the foul line. And the Cavs had all these chances where it looked like they were surging, it looked like they were coming back, and then the Pacers would hit a tough shot or they would run a play and score. And the reason it was surprising to me as a spectator was the Pacers were scoring a lot in the second half especially in a really slowed down game. This is something I asked Tyrese Halbert about after the game was – this game had a slow pace to it all night, and the Cavs set that pace. The Cavs were a slower-paced team. They didn't have their high-powered guards to up the pace like they can other times, and slowing it down made sense for them. It worked for them early in the game. They got a big lead. They tried to go back to it, and Halbert said, whichever team kind of sets the tone early is the team that's going to set the pace. In this case, it was the Cavs, and it wasn't the pace the Pacers like to play with. But it didn't matter. The Pacers found ways to score in the half court in this game in a way that's not typical of them on their best offensive nights. And that really stood out to me when you watch those timely buckets back is that despite not being able to play their game, the Pacers were able to continue to score enough in this game to actually win. And they had a lot of guys step up. Matherin did half of his shots on the offensive end. I'm just talking about stepping up on offense, to be clear right now. Miles Turner had 20 points. He was really great early. Uh, the Pacers needed buckets early. He was the first guy to give them to him. I think he had seven of their first nine points. He also had 12 rebounds. Halliburton, who we'll get to on his own in the next segment, was fantastic with 21 points. Nee Smith was good. And Jalen Smith was once again fantastic. Jalen Smith has not only earned the backup center spot, he's got runway now. He could have two bad games in a row, and he's still got that spot locked up. Five for seven from him, hitting two threes, grabbing boards, three assists. He was awesome. So all those guys... Kept hitting timely shots. Jalen Smith hit a shot clock buzzer beating three. Uh, it was all it all mattered. And so the difference between this game and opening night and a takeaway for the Pacers would be, yeah, their slow starts are a big problem. And their defense, especially at the start of this game, they picked it up, certainly, especially the bench unit, which we'll talk about as the game went along. 
So the Pacers have this bad thing, these slow starts, but they can overcome them. They're a very good adjusting team. The difference was this time we saw the Pacers play a clutch game and hold off and play very well. They didn't ever give the lead back. They knew what they were doing. It was a two-point game with four minutes to go, and the Pacers ended up winning by double digits. They performed that well in the final moments of this game, and it was a good win for the Pacers. They are now 2-0 and with a chance to go to 3-0 playing the Bulls, who are 1-2 in their house on Monday. We'll, of course, talk about that when the game comes. Before we talk more specifics about this game, I want to talk about the bench. I want to talk about three things with this game. The bench, Tyrese Halliburton, and TJ McConnell. Before we talk about those three things, though, I would like to talk to you guys about the lovely people over at FanDuel. Score early this NFL season with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. If you love the NFL, you're going to have a fun time on the day this podcast comes out because it's Sunday and it's game day and there's games everywhere. And right now, new customers on FanDuel can get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet on FanDuel. $150, heck yeah, if your team wins on FanDuel. What a steal. And if you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action than right now with the NFL season rolling with the World Series going on. And with the NBA back restarting, their app is super easy to use. They have a wide range of betting options, including spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn and kick off the NFL season on FanDuel, an official partner of the NFL. Thank you, as always, for making Lockdown Pacers your first listen today and every single day for your second listen Jump on over to Lockdown Cavs. Hear about the opponent side of this. Cavs lost two in a row at home this weekend, even having some of their guys play on Friday night against the OKC Thunder. But they are a banged-up team. There is a little bit of context required when discussing the Cavs. These last two segments are going to be a little shorter because it is a bonus show, in fact. But a couple things I wanted to talk about from this game because I thought they were noteworthy or because they stood out to me or just they've been a trend from the first two games. I want to start with Tyrese Halliburton, who I'm going to write a story on uh, before I leave this hotel. We had quite the day. Uh, we found out Friday, so after you guys last listened to this podcast, that he missed practice. He did not practice on Friday because he had a stomach bug. Uh, it wasn't food poisoning. He was just sick, just normal human stomach illnesses, right? And he did play still. He was good to go. Uh, but you just never know when guys are, are sick and what they're going to look like or if it will distract them or if they'll be able to play through it, right? So there's thing one for Tyrese Halbert, and that was interesting to me, is he had to fight a problem before the game. And then during the game, he said he's had this problem both games so far where he doesn't even realize he's doing it in the moment. Like, he feels like he's playing hard and doing his thing. But he, he ends up reflecting at some point later in the game and thinking, oh, I was floating or I'm floating during these moments and not being assertive enough. And he's got to figure out how to conquer that. And he did. And the third thing he had to fight this game was a heckler. Some guy courtside was giving Halbert in the business, talking about how he could, you know, be costing the Pacers the game, giving the game away. Well, Tyrese Halliburton heard him, and he responded in a huge way. Halliburton, in the first three quarters of the game, 10 points. That's fine. It's not awesome. It's not Tyrese Halliburton quality, but it's fine. Tyrese Halliburton, in the fourth quarter of Pacers-Cavs, finished with 11 points and two assists, plus eight to get it done. And his 11 points basically all came late in the quarter. I will find the exact moments to, to, to paint you the timeline. Four minutes and eight seconds to go. Evan Mobley hits a running hook shot, or excuse me, a running dunk in the lane uh, from a Max Struces. This is right after Aaron Neesmith barely missed a crazy tip dunk. It's 109-107 with four minutes to go. And I was actually preparing to write a game story about how the Pacers just 
could not stop the bleeding fast enough. They were bleeding kind of the whole second half, but they kept having the timely shots, like I said earlier. But it felt like at that four-minute mark, the Cavs being that close, we're going to find a way to get this one back. And then Halliburton said, shut up, Tony, and he hit a three. And then the Pacers got a, a stop. They prevented a bucket. Evan Mobley hit one free throw. And then eight seconds later, Tyrus Halliburton from the exact same spot, you guessed it, he hit a three. And then the Pacers get another stop. Evan Mobley gets stopped in the lane. Miles Turner blocks it. Aaron Eastman gets the rebound. And then five seconds later, you guessed it, Tyrese Halliburton hit a three. And so with three minutes and 48 seconds to go in this game, the score is 109-107. The Pacers were ahead by two, looking to close out a win on the road. And then with two minutes and 46 seconds left, it was 118-108. The Pacers went from up two to up 10 so fast. If you blink, you miss it. And that was the game. They they coasted from there. They win by 12. And Halliburton would score again, uh, actually, uh, to end the quarter. Like, he was just awesome in the fourth quarter. And he kept fighting off all these little battles he was having with himself or with a fan throughout the game in a way that was huge for the Pacers. Look, no one needs to hear this. But Tyrese Halliburton, like, is better <laughs> than last year. And I think everybody knows it. But the Team USA experience, being an all-star, like, I think he just knows he's the guy in a way that is important for him. Uh, you could just can see it. Like, he can just – he just is taking over games. He did it in the third quarter against the Wizards. He did it like, in the fourth quarter tonight. He knows when to pick his spots. He knows when to get his teammates involved. I think he's going to average over 20 and 10 again. Um, and that is despite – having these moments in the games where he's floating. It doesn't even look like he's having the impact that Tyrese Halliburton can usually have. So I'm expecting him to have a great year, and he showed why in this game his fourth quarter, particularly down the stretch, was absolutely brilliant. The other point guard I want to talk about today is T.J. McConnell. T.J. McConnell was the perfect player for the Pacers in this game. We heard after the first game where Carlisle talk about a teary-eyed conversation. Close to teary-eyed. I don't think he got to tears. Conversation that he had with T.J. McConnell saying, Hey, man. You're not, you're not going to be in the rotation every game, right? You're probably our first guy out. You'll still play. There'll be injuries, and you're important. But our top nine, you're not in it. And he played the last six minutes of opening night, but he wasn't in the rotation. Well, this game, the way it started, Karis Overt was going crazy. The Cavs were slowing the game down, right? The Pacers did not have answers to the Cavs, and the Cavs are an inferior, talented team in this game. It was all energy. The Cavs had a ton of energy somehow, even though they weren't a back-to-back. And they were just blowing the Pacers' doors off early in the game. And the second unit came in and was doing a good job. Neesmith was doing a nice job. Nemhard was doing a nice job slowing down Levert and starting a comeback. But the Pacers still needed an energy boost. They were just slowing down Levert. They weren't actually coming back yet. Well, who's better than a guy who has instant energy all the time, who's playing for opportunity now, and TJ McConnell? Right? Miles Turner, I asked him about... McConnell. They've been teammates for like five years now. And Miles Turner was actually in TJ McConnell's draft class. And he remembers back then being impressed by TJ because that dude was so spunky and he went undrafted and still fought and found a way to get on a team. And that's what his whole career has been about is persevering through situations like these. Well, TJ comes in and is exactly what the Pacers need. The energy guy who's getting everybody moving, who's getting the game moving, who's throwing passes and keeping it moving. And to have that luxury is just so valuable for the Pacers as their 10th guy. McConnell finished plus 21, tied for a team high with Andrew Nemhard, who was fantastic on defense in this game. Uh, eight assists for McConnell, no turnovers. I mean, I get why he's out of the rotation. I think he should still be the 10th man 
if you lined the Pacers up in terms of what their rotation should be. I don't want to get into a long rotation discussion. I've done that on basically every show for the last week. It's not worth it. But you you see why it's such a discussion when they have a guy like this who's on the outside because he's just so talented. He did so many important things in this game to turn the tide in the Pacers' favor, and he's just a good player, right? And for a team that desperately needed that kick in the butt, he gave it to him in a way that is not easy to do. Halliburton couldn't even do it. That starting five has started off both games quite poorly, right? And and TJ McConnell and that bench group came in and said, "Now we can do this. We can, we can up the tempo here. We can make it happen. We can make our our team play better in a way that is meaningful." And to see that happen for a guy that, you know, just earlier this week was having a a, a tough conversation about how much he'd be playing. That is proof positive to me that even if there aren't a lot of these games where the Pacers are lethargic and need this energy boost. That when he says he's going to be a professional about it and be ready when he is called upon, he is. He means it. This is all you need to see. That is exactly what that looks like, is coming in a situation like that and doing that for the Pacers in a key win. We'll see what his minutes look like going forward, but he was integral in this win. Let's talk about the bench unit in general and a couple other stray thoughts about this game to close out today's show. Thank you, as always, for making Locked On Pacers our first listen today and every single day for your second listen. Check out Locked On Pistons. Why? Because the Pistons have two wins and one loss. And Jalen Duran looks great and Cade Cunningham looks great. And the Pistons might be sneaking up on some people. Maybe they've played a crappy schedule, but maybe they're sneaking up on some people. Kuka Hill can have more on the Central Division's Detroit Pistons. Final segment here from this game in Cleveland I want to talk about. Miles Turner, and I want to talk about the second unit. The second unit, two games in a row, has completely saved the Pacers. Down early, down big against the Wizards. Second unit saves the day. Down even bigger against the Cavs. Second unit saves the day. Just look at the plus-minus. Andrew Nemhard, plus 21. Buddy Heald, plus 6. And Aaron Neesmith, plus 18. Jalen Smith, plus 17. TJ McConnell, plus 21. Yeah, obviously a lot of those minutes overlapped, which is why those numbers are so high. But those guys... The fact that those numbers were so high is impressive. The fact that they can be that good together is impressive. Now, they were good against the Wizards and the Cavs' third stringers, right? The Cavs had so many guys out that the Pacers should have had a better mention this game. But that's the point. The Pacers' depth has been a, a weapon for them. And part of these conversations about the Pacers' depth and competition is because they have all these talented players. They should be a good bench team this year. The only question was, can this unit be cohesive, right? It's currently been... Andrew Nemhard, Buddy Heald, Aaron Neesmith, Jalen Smith every game. And then the fifth player is a starter, or in this case, McConnell some of the time. And it's not always all four of those guys. Bruce Brown's been in with that second group a lot because he can provide some secondary ball handling, but they've mixed it up. Halliburton was with them for much of the first quarter today, right? We've seen stretches of Matherin in there with them because the starting five was the, from last season was actually the closing five in this game. There's a lot of layers to this, but that group is good, and they have fit well together. Nemhart's creation has looked good. His defense has looked awesome. So that's enough to get the team in, in transition and get some stops, which is important. Buddy Heald is, of course, the shooting threat, and even when the shots don't fall, he provides the spacing that helps everybody else. But this is the second game in a row. His passing has looked nice. Four assists for Buddy Heald. He's like catching and then immediately popping into a secondary pick and roll in a way that creates an open passing lane because his shot's so strong, and he's finding that pass. Buddy Heald has had two good passing games in a row, and the team's ball movement, once again, was impressive in this game. 38 assists in the Pacers' first game, 36 this time. That's ridiculous. They're on fire with the passing to start the season. Aaron Neesmith, you all have seen this, but 
and I've talked about it a little, maybe not enough. His offensive growth has been impressive. He can put the ball on the floor a little better now. His reads are better. Nine rebounds and four offensive boards, of course, will help on the offensive end. His defense has been solid. Five for nine from deep in this game was crucial in the win. He's been awesome in the preseason. He's been awesome in the regular season. I said it all offseason. I would be making sure Aaron Neesmith is playing every game if I'm the Pacers. This is why. In fact, he's been better than even I thought he'd be when I was saying that stuff. Credit where credit is due. He's just been fantastic. And it says a lot about this Pacers bench group that between the storylines of McConnell and Halliburton, that Aaron Neesmith's career night is like almost not a footnote, but it's like not even the lead story from this group because Jalen Smith, also a very significant story. He's been great every minute he's been on the floor, basically, including preseason. Five for seven in this one, two for three from deep, six rebounds, three assists. He was passing it well, too. His defense on Mobley was awesome. This was Jalen Smith's biggest contribution this game to me. I have it in my notes. He was better against Mobley than Turner was, specifically. Turner was better defending, like corralling the whole floor and protecting the rim. But specifically guarding Evan Mobley, Jalen Smith was better, right? And that was huge for the Pacers. He was much more physical, and that mattered quite a bit. And credit to, J- to Jalen Smith. He's upped his level on both ends to start the season. And, of course, we just talked about McConnell. He rounded out that bench group perfectly today. That five, those five guys have been great this season for the Pacers. And the fact that they've been so great has been a huge competitive advantage for the Pacers in these games. I don't know how long that group can click forever. Maybe these guys are not young and inexperienced and inconsistent anymore. Maybe this is just what they'll be. Maybe it depends on how that fifth guy that's with them does on a given night. McConnell was awesome in this one, and Bruce Brown was awesome in game one. But this group works, and it's been really impressive to see in these games. And it swung them a crucial game on the road against the division foe. And I can't wait to see how they continue to evolve because... You know, Andrew Nemhard didn't shoot well in this game. Buddy Heald did not shoot well in this game. And yet these groups could still look really good because they can defend, right? I even have this lineup in my notes. They they went to the best defensive five, and it features three bench players. It was McConnell, Nemhard, Brown, Neesmith, and Turner. They went to it in this game, and it worked. It was good. So I think that we, we've learned a lot about the Pacers in these first two games, but the bench specifically has been something that has been really important for the Pacers' success and something totally worth monitoring long-term because if they can continue to be this good, that's a big advantage for the Pacers in the regular season. Uh, the bench becomes less important in the playoffs, but for a team looking to make the playoffs, they need their bench to keep doing this night in and night out. So they can rack up the wins. Undefeated, one of three undefeated Eastern Conference teams, the Indiana Pacers. Last guy I want to talk about, Miles Turner. Miles Turner, really, really solid game. Like I said, he was one of their only guys kind of providing a spark early, getting to the foul line for three free throws. He had five first quarter points. The rest of the Pacers starters combined had five first quarter points. You might laugh at five first quarter points being a significant note. That's a 20-point game. That's what Turner ended with. They needed all of that given where this game was trending, right? He actually was igniting stuff by getting to the line early. And then he just kind of had this slow addition of points until the fourth quarter when he had seven points and three boards. It was three for four from the field and hit a three. He was he was the king of the timely shot in this game, and his defense was good to go with it. Two blocks, 12 rebounds. That was significant. Something I wrote uh, before the game when I was looking at the game preview was it's important for Turner to do a good job on the glass and grabbing 12 misses was important because Mobley is a good offensive rematter. He still had five, uh, but to limit that number as much as he could was good stuff from Miles Turner, who had a really solid game to me. Rick Carlisle gave him praise uh, after the game in a way that was meaningful. Both centers played well. Jalen Smith also played well. Um, Rick Carlisle saying after the game, Miles made some really great defensive plays at the rim. 
uh, and Turner added 20 and 12 to that fantastic defense. Uh, I think that was a really important performance for the Pacers against the Cavs team that was really trying to get to the rim. Only 31 three-point attempts for the Cavs in this game, and you could tell they got up the free throws that they were trying to attack the basket. Pacers, what have we learned about them? Even against an inferior opponent twice, well, they're going to move the ball like crazy. Their assist numbers are bananas. Their second unit appears to be awesome, and they have some internal growth guys that are making this team better. They're 2-0. They've got a chance to go 3-0 Monday night against the Chicago Bulls. You know we'll have it all broken down here on the Locked on Pacers podcast, plus a couple more topics coming on Monday before we look ahead at the Bulls. Hope you guys enjoyed today's bonus show. Let me know what you thought of this game by tweeting at me at Tony R. East or commenting down below if you're watching on YouTube. Hope you all had a fantastic day. We'll see you tomorrow as the week starts.